Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, I'll ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything... To stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all petition and prayer at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. May God bless the reading and the hearing, and most of all, the obeying of His Word. You may be seated. Are you putting on the full armor of God in order that you might stand firm against the assaults of the enemy? On you and on your family? Have you put on the belt of commitment? Are you committed 110% to the battle 24-7 and to win the battle? Have you put on the best of holy living? Are you living a life that's in obedience to the Word of God? Have you put on your combat boots of the solid footing of knowing that you are at peace with God? Through the death of Jesus Christ, that God's on your side. It's the enemy, Satan, that you fight, not God. Have you taken up the door shield of faith that you might be able to crouch behind that door shield and extinguish those flaming arrows that the enemy will shoot at you in this battle? Have you put on the helmet of the hope of your future salvation? That you know no matter how bad things may get in this life, they're not even worth mentioning compared to the great glory and joy that God has in store for you in eternity. So you don't need to get discouraged. You don't need to get depressed and down. Because this life is only like a a vapor. There for a moment and gone compared to the length of eternity. And so whatever sufferings we endure, we must put on that hope of our future salvation. Today, we are adding another vital piece of your spiritual armor. In fact, the only offensive piece of your armor, that is the sword of the Spirit, as we see in verse 18. Now, let's look first of all at the Roman soldier's sword. I have told you that Paul, many think, was imprisoned when he wrote this, and probably chained to some Roman soldiers. 
And he was using them and their armament to speak about the armor that we as Christians must put on in our battle. And he talks today about the sword, the dagger that the Roman soldier would use. Now, what Paul has in mind is that 6-inch to 18-inch dagger that I have pictured for you here. Now, last week we talked about the 3- to 4-foot broadsword that a soldier would take with both hands and he would yield in battle and seek to cut off the head of his opponent. Now, each of these swords, the broadsword and the dagger, had different words in the Greek, one for each sword. And so it's clear to us exactly which sword Paul has in mind in verse 18. And it's not the broadsword, but it is that dagger that was from 6 to 18 inches in length. Now, what was its function? It was used in hand-to-hand combat, as you see in the picture. Now, obviously, because of its length, it involved close combat. It was restricted to the combat being within a foot or so of the warriors. The soldiers would seek to penetrate the enemy's armor with the sword or to inflict a deadly wound to an exposed area. What about the Christian soldier? What's our sword? Well, Paul tells us, as we look at the description of our sword, he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is... The Word of God. Now let's look at the Word of God. First, its divine origin. The Bible is not merely a human product. Though it was written by over 30 men, over a period of over 1,600 years, these men wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. Thus, the Bible is God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read, All Scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, you see that word, inspired? In the Greek, it's the word theonoustia, which means God-breathed. Now, inspired is a little bit misleading. A more correct term would be expired. But the morticians have taken that word away from us, so we can't use it. But you see, inspired gives the idea that men wrote and then God just breathed into it and made it special. But that's not the biblical picture. Rather, it was God who was breathing His words into men and then they wrote these words. So they were God-breathed. You see, the Bible is both a human and divine product. Just as Jesus was all man, and at the same time He was all God, so the Scripture is both human and divine. Peter gives us an indication of the process over in 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at what he says. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Not men simply writing their own thoughts, 
but men moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, this word for moved was used in the Greek of Paul's day to speak of a a sailing ship being moved along the sea by the wind. And so what Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God moved in these men's lives. They were carried along by the Spirit so that they would write exactly the words that he would want them to write. And yet they were not in some trance and simply started moving their hands. He used their personality. He used their distinct differences. But yet he was working in such a way that he was controlling their thoughts so that they would write exactly the words that he wanted them to write. And therefore, what we have is both a human and divine product. And because it is the Word of God, it is first of all in error, without error, as originally given. It is not only without error, but it is complete. It is everything God wants us to have. He didn't leave anything out. He gave it all to us. And it is authoritative in our lives. Since it's God's Word, it is the authority in our lives. The ultimate authority. Not only is it divine in its origin, but look at its divine power. Because the Bible is God's Word, it has inherent power. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we read, For the Word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, and both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice the writer of Hebrews says that the Bible is, first of all, a living, and it is active. It's living. Now, the Bible is this, but it's more than this. The Bible is the words on these pages. But it's more than that. The Bible is the Word of God energized by His Spirit. The Spirit takes these words on a page, these letters of ink, and miraculously causes them to be living and active when they are taken up by people. There is a power in this Word that's greater than any other book. There's no other book in existence that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is able to divide, pierce our animal's being, and judge our hearts. It's alive. It has power. In it. Arena lived in Russia. Her husband, like most of the men in their town, just went from one drinking party to the next. He would occasionally beat her and the children. But when she became a Christian, she said he turned even worse. He became mean. And in his drunkenness, he used to beat her and the kids almost daily. Then one day, she just had all she could take. And she took the children and left the house. Her husband left there drinking with some of his friends. After a couple of days, she was worried about him. And in fear, she went back to the house. 
And her husband had had health problems because of his drinking, and therefore he had had his legs amputated, and he'd been wheelchair bound for some time. Now she, being worried about him, went back to the house, and when she went in, she found him lying on the floor, crying, asking her, begging her to forgive him because God had forgiven him. And what had happened is that in his drunken stupor, he had passed out and fallen out of his wheelchair onto the floor. As he was coming to, he was trying to pull himself back up and he was grabbing the tablecloth and he pulled the tablecloth off and Arena's Bible was on the table and it fell off on the floor next to him. He picked it up and he started reading And because the Word of God has power and is living and active, Mikael came to know Christ as his personal Lord and Savior while he was there on that floor. And therefore, he became a changed man. And Arena says their marriage now is so great. And their whole family is walking with Christ. Why? Because the Word of God has divine power. Also, not only is it of divine origin and have divine power, but it has divine effectiveness. Look over in Isaiah chapter 55 in verse 11. God says, So so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God says He will accomplish what He desires through His Word. Now, God never says, never promises that my words will be successful, that my words will be effective. He never promises you that your words will be effective. But He says that His Word will always succeed in the matter for which He sent it out. It will always accomplish what He wants it to accomplish. It will succeed. A doctor in Charcot, Paraguay, was a Gideon. And so he had seen firsthand the power of God's Word and how effective it was. And one day a medical equipment salesman was visiting him in his office. And so this doctor gave this salesman a New Testament. And he said to him, if you will read this book every day, you will become a changed man. So the salesman took the New Testament and he accepted the challenge. A few weeks later, his wife said to him, you know, I've noticed you have changed And it's been for the better. You have changed a lot. How can that be? He went and picked up his New Testament and he said, I've been reading this every day and I have become a believer in Jesus Christ. And he has changed my life. And his wife said, well, if it's done that much for you, then we need to read it as a family. And so they started every Friday night for one hour He read the Bible to his family. One hour turned into three hours. Eventually his wife got saved, then his youngest son got saved, and then his older son got saved. 
the whole family, came to know Christ because one man stuck a New Testament, which is the Word of God, and will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish in the hands of a man and challenged him to read it. So you see, that sword that we have is of divine origin. It is powerful. It is effective. And fourthly, it is a particular word or passage that pertains to your situation or temptation. There are two Greek words that are translated in the English as word. The first is logos. That's the one you're probably familiar with. Now, this means the whole Bible. This is the Logos of God. This is the Word of God. The other Greek word is the word Rhema. It speaks not of the whole Bible, but of a particular verse or a particular passage that God gives you about a situation or a temptation that you may be facing. Every verse in this Logos could become a Rhema to you, if the occasion was right. But it is not automatically the Rhema of God. This is the Logos of God. Now, if you look confused, don't worry. I'm going to clear it up in a moment. But what you need to remember for right now is, when Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, it doesn't mean you taking up the whole Bible to hit Satan over the head with it. He means that he is saying, take up that particular verse, that particular passage that speaks to your situation, and that is that sharp sword that you can use against the enemy. All right, next. It's function. What's the function of the sword of the Lord? First, the sword is is an offensive piece of armor. And as I told you earlier, it's the only offensive piece of armor that Paul mentions. Now, too many Christians, I think, and too many churches are only in a defensive mode. It's like that they think that they are to just cloister themselves inside the four walls of the church and don't let the world in. But we are the triumphant army of God and we need to be on the offensive. We need to be going out and engaging the powers of darkness and evil. We shouldn't be huddled in here saying, oh no, don't let the devil come in here. We need to be going out there with the sword of the Lord and combating and defeating Satan out in the world where he is. We need to be in society battling sin and evil. And we have to do this and must do this with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Over in 1 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy about the church at Ephesus. And 1 Timothy is, in an, is kind of like a pastor's manual, an instruction manual on how to operate a church. And he mentions there in chapter 3, verse 15, something about the church and its responsibility to combat and confront society. He says, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church, 
of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Paul says the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. Now that tells me that we as Christians have the responsibility to proclaim the truth to our society. Where else will they hear the truth? Not on the 6 o'clock evening news, I'll assure you. Not in the AJC, I will assure you. They're not going to hear the truth unless you and I, the people of God, proclaim the truth of God's Word and how it bears against the evils in our society. We need to take up the sword of the Word of God and we need to go out and we need to attack the enemy where he resides in darkness. We need to shine the light of God's Word and dispel the darkness of Satan in our society. For instance, there are many of the lies of Satan about homosexuality prevalent in our day. You know them. Now, we need to take the truth of God and go out and combat the lies of homosexuality. Now, you don't go out and take Psalm 23. That would be taking the Logos. But you must take that rhema. That particular passage, that particular verse that speaks to the subject of homosexuality and then use it to combat this evil in our society. Same thing about abortion. Again, you just don't pick up any psalm. You need to pick that particular passage that deals with the sanctity of life, with the passages and verses that deal with this issue, and then use those. The same thing for prostitution or pornography or premarital sex. Lies that Satan has about marriage, about God's design for men and women. We need to take the sword of the Spirit to work, to school, to the ball field, wherever you go and meet Satan's lies with the truth of God's Word. And use God's truth to destroy those lies lovingly, but clearly speak the truth of God, that particular word, that rhema, that particular verse that speaks to that issue that you're confronting at school or at work or at the ball field or wherever you may be. You say, but they're not going to listen They're not going to change their mind. Well, how do you know if they're going to change their mind or not, first of all? Secondly, even if they do not change their mind, you still have the responsibility to combat darkness with the light of God's truth. God's truth needs to be stated whether it's accepted or not. We need to be promoting His truth because you're engaging Satan's kingdom of darkness with God's Word, which is powerful and guaranteed to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Remember, it's powerful, it's effective. It will accomplish what He wants. Gina, and that's not her real name, but to protect her identity, we'll call her Gina. Gina Gina is a teenager. And she thinks she might be pregnant. That's the last thing she feels like she needs is a baby in her life. 
And so she's decided that if she is pregnant, she's going to have an abortion. But she doesn't know for sure she's pregnant or not, and so she takes out the yellow pages and she's looking for someplace she can get a free pregnancy test. And she finds in the yellow pages a place called Cobb Pregnancy Services. And she thinks, well, it says here they give free pregnancy tests and free ultrasounds. I'll go here. And maybe they can, if I'm pregnant, they can recommend somebody to do the abortion. And so she goes to Cobb Pregnancy Services and she goes in and tells them she'd like to have the free pregnancy test. They give her the free pregnancy test and tell her to wait in this room for the results. And while she's waiting, a counselor comes in. And that counselor takes the sword of God's Word and begins to share with her the truth of the gospel of how God came in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us from our futile way of life inherited from our forefathers, from our bondage to sin. And God uses that sword of His Spirit to touch this girl's heart and bring her into the kingdom. And then they begin to take that sword and share with her about the truth of the sanctity of human life. And this girl who came in with all intentions of having an abortion is confronted with the sword of the Word, the sword of the Spirit, and God has used it to bring her into the kingdom and destroy Satan's lies about abortion. Now that story has been repeated over 100 times at Cobb Pregnancy Services just this year. Because they know the importance of the Word of God as a sword in this spiritual battle against abortion. So the Word of God is, first of all, an offensive weapon. We must attack evil and sin and darkness with the truth, that particular verse, that particular passage that speaks to that situation. But also, it's a defensive weapon as well. We can use the sword of the Spirit to repel and destroy the temptations of Satan. Now let's look to our Commander-in-Chief, the Lord Jesus Himself, to learn how to defeat Satan's temptations using the sword of the Spirit. If you turn over in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 4, here we have the temptations that Jesus experienced before He went into His public ministry. And here Jesus teaches you and I some important lessons on how to use the Word of God to combat the temptations that Satan brings against us. In fact, this is the clearest example we have in all Scripture of Jesus being tempted and how He combated and confronted these temptations. Now what you will see is each time Jesus was attacked by Satan, He pulled out the sword of the Word and He used it to defeat Satan. When He says, it is written, He's referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. They were called the writings in His day. And Satan could not stand against the sword of the Spirit. He moved on to another temptation. And Jesus would refute that temptation with the same thing. It is written. 
And then he would quote a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. Notice, Jesus, though he was superior in his intelligence to Satan, he didn't argue with Satan. He didn't try to reason with Satan. He simply took out the sword of the Spirit and slashed him away and destroyed the temptation. Satan was defeated. Now let's look. Now Jesus didn't just use any verse. He used the verse that spoke particularly to that temptation. He used the rhema. Let's look. Over in Matthew 4. The first temptation. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, You shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The temptation was for Jesus to take things into his own hands to provide food for himself. He'd been there 40 days. God had not provided any food for him. And so basically Satan is saying, look, God hadn't provided for you in 40 days. What makes you think he's going to provide for you now? You need to just take your power and you need to turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. I mean, after all, God helps those that help themselves, right? So you need to help yourself, Jesus. You need to quit depending and waiting on God. Take it into your own hands. You can do something, so do it. But Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. In this passage, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel after they've come through 40 years of the wilderness with trials and temptations. And he says to them that God tested you in the wilderness. He gave you hardships and difficulties because he wanted you to understand that you had to depend and trust on him, not on your own human resources. And that you do not live by bread alone, human means, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so this is the very verse that Jesus quotes to defeat that temptation. The temptation to take matters in his own hands and not to depend on God the Father. That particular rhema, that particular word, slashed through this temptation. Next temptation. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written... And here's Satan quotes Scripture. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This temptation was for Jesus to try and make God act like he wanted him to act. Right? Throw yourself off of the temple, and God's got to save you because you're the Messiah. And you've got to live. And so he's got to send his angels to catch you. He's got to respond and do like you want him to do. And so Jesus again quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this quote refers to Israel when they came out of Egypt and they ran out of water. They'd been out a few days and all the water was gone. And so they were thirsty and they started crying and complaining to God saying, God, you must not be here. You must not be with us or we'd have water to drink. Basically, they're saying, God, if you're with us and you've got to show us you are and you've got to provide water, you've got to act like we want you to act in our situation. You ever been there? 
can't see God anywhere in your situation. You just say, God, you just abandoned me. You left me. You think that because God's not acting like you think he ought to act. And this is what the nation of Israel was doing. They were saying, God, you're not with us because you've not provided water for us. Satan says, if God's with you, Jesus, then throw yourself off the temple and he will catch you. He won't let you die. And Jesus quoted the passage that Moses referred to in Deuteronomy. and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You should not say, God, you've got to act like I want you to act. And he took that particular word, that particular verse, and he defeated Satan. Third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.13. The temptation was to take the easy road. Bow down and worship me, Satan said, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, that's what you're after anyway, isn't it? For the world to worship you. Well, you worship me. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die on the cross. Just do it my way. Follow my way. Not God's way. Well, when you put your way above God's way, what are you doing? You're worshiping yourself. And for Jesus to have put Satan's way above God's way would for him to have worshipped Satan. And so Jesus takes that particular verse that speaks to this temptation and says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And that settled it. The temptation was slashed through and defeated. Now you can see the importance of memorizing Scripture, can't you? That's why David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If, you're, don't, if you don't have the Scripture in your heart, the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to bring it out as a sword. That's why you need to learn Scripture, you need to study Scripture, you need to memorize Scripture so that when you're tempted, the Holy Spirit will bring out that Scripture, you will have that sword, and you can slash that temptation. You're tempted to lie. All of a sudden, the verse, lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. You've got your sword right there. You slash that temptation. You do not lie. Somebody's hurt you and you just are steaming. You're just dreaming of how you can get back at them, how you can get your revenge. And suddenly the verse, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's your sword. You take it out and you slash that temptation. All of us who are married have had this issue. You're mad at them. You're angry at them. You just determine to stay mad. And in that verse, do not let the sun go down on your anger. I'm not the only one that verse has come to, am I? And immediately you got your sword right there. Now you got to take it and you got to slash that temptation to stay angry or worry. You're just worrying and fretting, and all of a sudden the verse, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ. I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust God. You've got the sword. Now use it. Martin Luther is a good example. 
of the sword in both its offensive and defensive use. First of all, Martin Luther, though he was a Catholic monk and priest, he was bound by the chains of works righteousness, thinking he had to somehow, some way earn God's acceptance. He was bound. But then one day, the sword of the Spirit came to him. The just shall live by faith. And he took out that sword and he slashed through those chains of works righteousness and he experienced salvation. But he wasn't content there because the Catholic Church was teaching salvation by works. And he took that same sword, the just shall live by faith, and he went after the powers of darkness and he started what was to result in the Protestant Reformation of salvation through grace and faith alone. Have you taken up the sword of the Spirit? Pastor A.T., Pastor A.T., I, I hate to interrupt your sermon, but we just received a message on the computer, an alert that there's an incoming message for our church and it's marked urgent. What should we do? Well, I guess if it's urgent, Frank, we need to see it. All right. Can we get it, Stephen? sign off. Your boss is strong, so channel that strength. If you still want to be standing when the devil has emptied both barrels at you, then get your battle armor on. Know your enemy. It's not people you're fighting. It's the dark spiritual forces that run the evil system from their hellish headquarters. So you'll need your battle armor to keep you on your feet. Face the onslaught with your truth belt fully stocked. With your bulletproof vest of right lifestyle fixed on tight. With your boots being ready to stomp on injustice and escort peace in. Activate your personal protective force field so you'll stay totally convinced of what you're fighting for. Even when the evil one's scudding you with missiles. And your headgear's essential. So get your helmet on with its breathing apparatus to protect you from chemical warfare and its radio contact with HQ, absolutely critical. But this isn't about defense. It's about hitting the enemy where it hurts. Words. Not just any words. We're on information overload already. God's words from the Sacred Instruction Manual. And keep communication lines open with God 24-7. Have His Spirit on the conference call facility permanently. There's no point in having all this equipment and walking around drugged up or dopey. So keep sharp. Yes.
Let's pray. Father, we do desire to take up the sword of the Spirit, to use it to defeat the attacks that Satan will assail against us, against this church, against our families, against our society. By Your grace, may we be faithful to put on the full armor that You provided for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.